Welcome to the Sisters of Industry, a weekly podcast where a shared bloodline combined with divergent professional experiences set the stage for great conversation on doing work that matters. With Laura's global corporate experience and Jen's nonprofit startup experience, the sisters will provide you with insights that can be used to help you lead and work better starting now. We're here to make you laugh, make you think, and make you more industrious in your professional and personal life. I'm Jen, and I get asked questions all the time, ranging from the spiritual meaning of life all the way to which Oreo flavor is superior, classic or Lady Gaga. I'm prepared for all lines of questioning. I'm Laura. And I spend most of my time hiding in the bathroom to avoid all of the questions because I am just done with all of the questions. So today, we're talking about questions because we're going to do a special episode on asking the sisters and address a few questions that have been coming our way. Having said that, a sister's announcement. Sister's announcement. Sister's announcement. We're, we're together in person for it. It's perfect. Um, sister's announcement. We are going to start going to buy so every two weeks we're going to drop a new episode. We have spent the last two and a half years dropping an episode every single week and we are exhausted. Um, but in all seriousness, what we really want to try to do is spend more time with the content we're putting out there. Our content has been coming at you fast and furious. We're going to focus on slowing down the content a little and spending more time getting into the content with our listeners via Instagram, InstaLive, some chats, etc. So more for that. Let's get into today's special episode. Okay, I'm ready. An episode of Ask the Sisters Questions. Things that have been coming to us from listeners, and we're going to get into it now. Ben, I'm excited to answer questions, and when I dive right in, we got some really good questions. Okay, good. Coming out of the Generations series that we just came off of. A series that, if I'm honest really helps speak to why we're going to go to this bi-weekly format because a lot of really great content there that we were enjoying covering and it just came and went too fast. Yes. We want to slow down and spend some time there and we're going to start first with a question from it. So I got a really good series of questioners from a listener about how to handle integrating generations in an environment. In this situation, it was healthcare where mm-hmm. persons are acting more as individual contributors, a healthcare provider in a system than they are part of a team functioning Mm -hmm. together on a day-to-day basis. So how do you work with, let's just say, that new provider who's a younger, let's say it's a millennial, right? A millennial that's entering the field and doesn't see things like traditional things like maybe immediate patient follow-up or in-person contact or paperwork timeliness. They take a different view on that Mm -hmm. than a provider that's maybe been in the business for three decades, right? Mm -hmm. And has a very serious pattern around those things. That could be perceived as a change in the standard of care um, in this particular example, or it could be a different way of doing things that still holds a standard. So the question is, how do you handle involving and working with a new generation and finding ways to work together to find the best for your company or your provider 
mm-hmm. when you don't have that direct control and team relationship? It's a great yeah. question. It's a complex question. It I'm is. curious what comes to mind for you when you hear that question. It is. I got to be honest. So the first thing that comes to my mind is that I wish my husband was sitting here right now because Clark works for a company that is a company that very much has its own brand, standard of operations, however, works on an individual branch model. Right. And so it's, I feel like the the best way I can relate to that question, because it's not my realm, right. is to think about what I hear from him. Because they have, and what they've had to work hard to do, to give their financial advisors the freedom to bring their personality, to bring right. their energy. I mean, I've sat in um, spouse meetings, they do regional things where we get to go along, right. where they're I'm listening to these younger advisors figure out how better to use social media with a company that's still really nervous about social media in the right. realm of finance. But right. they're going, this is how we're going to reach anyone that's at this age. And so I've been watching their company in particular figure out where to set the parameters, essentially to create a model that says these are non-negotiables about how we speak. These are things that you don't get to change the wording on. These are patterns you have to follow in terms of the process that you need to do. And then when you do that, and you and I talked about this a little bit with the rules and not rules when we did the Simon Sinek stuff and everything else. So you create enough rules to do that. And then you try to find ways to embrace the way people are then going, okay, but that means then that I can also try this thing that no one else in the company has done before. And I can use this language, but I can package it here. And you just have to have enough stop gaps along the way, right. like you're saying. So there's some freedom to say a different generation is going to do this a different way, or the interpersonal isn't as valued here, but there's still a standard of operation. There's still a level. Right. That's where my head goes. Well, and I like that what you're pointing out here is there do need to be some standards. So let's say... Yeah. Um, paperwork a paperwork standard so even in the world i live in and i know it's a corporate world when it comes to hr matters there there's just some paperwork that has to be done it's a rule these things have to be done they have to be done with certain signatures by a certain date Mm -hmm. because there are legal and other practicalities assigned to that that are necessary i can imagine from those i know that work i have some very close friends many in that are nurses healthcare providers therapists Similar things, right? There mm-hmm. are just realities, plus they have to deal with insurance paperwork, right? So <laughs> there's a whole lot of practicalities there, and there are rules. And I think you have to be honest with those operating rules um, in the business that you work in. At the same time, what's not really a rule? What's something that you perceive as a, and let's use that phrase, standard of care, and I should be careful because that's not the world I live in, but what's your perceived standard of care and maybe a newly perceived standard of care? And how can we adapt and even ask questions of each other? Mm-hmm. To grow and learn because you might find out that, hey, maybe I'm a baby boomer that's been providing a certain standard of care for a lot of years. And I think, what is this millennial doing that they're making follow-up phone calls in the evening? Well, you know, what they're doing, that millennials find out is, hey, I'd rather get out of the office, go for my run because we know this is how that generation thinks, right? Flexibility and time. And -hmm. then call people in the evening when I'm not trying to chase them down when they're at work and trading voicemails. They might be onto something. What do I know? I do not work in that field. (laughs) The point being, learn from each other. Embrace, let's go to wisdom at work, that mentor type role where you are both providing wisdom and learning and trying to find the best together for what Mm -hmm. works today. So I think, but there's a lot. This is a great example. There is so much in this generation stuff. I feel like if we do ask the sisters every eight weeks, we are going to (laughs) continually be coming back 
to ways to apply the generational leadership. It is. But again, the big key, like you're saying, is listen and learn. Be open to what somebody else is trying that you never even considered in your paradigm. Right. I mean, maybe when you started, you got clients because you hosted the in-person event over dinner. Right. And now people are going, I need the Friday morning power hour that's over Zoom. Right. That I can right. jump in the first 30 minutes of my day. Right. And so I think that's both. Well, Laura, I got a similar question that okay. stays in this lane for just a second. Okay. On how do we do and how do you approach, hello, puppy dog, Shadow's Shadow. recording with us today. Yes, he really um, wants to Because we're together. <laughs> um, how do you embrace this concept when instead of being more of a solar provider within a big system, but when you are more of, let's use the word that started to get thrown out more, a solopreneur, okay. and we're talking about these ideas of the value of team, especially as you can pull in generations and different mentalities, but what happens when you're not a team and you're a solopreneur? How do you still get and find access to the best of these ideas generationally? You know, I my brain immediately there goes to this concept of having that um, board of that personal board of directors. You've talked is about the that. phrase yep. that a lot of folks know use and use and know. John A. Cuff uses that phrase specifically regularly, mm -hmm. um, as do others. Or that you know, so that that board of advisors that's personal, that team. Just because you don't work in a twenty-person or a two thousand or two hundred thousand-person organization, doesn't mean you can't have a team. Mm -hmm. Right. There are so many ways to come about it. We talked about that via networking. It can be formal, informal, so many different ways. I don't think we want to revisit all that today. But to me, I go, OK, so go out and find some folks that are in adjacent, similar businesses. Maybe it's not even similar. Maybe it's just someone who is out there starting a business, but they're doing it with a millennial mindset. and You're doing it with a Gen X mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. Find people to connect with. Host that breakfast, you know, one one Friday morning a month where you get together and talk about what you're learning and yeah. how you can apply it. I think we all need to remember that our bubble is only as restricted as we choose it to be. That's the key. It's That's, only yeah. like, so solo, this whole concept of solopreneur actually makes me a little crazy because you don't have to go anything alone. This is both a <laughs> spiritual, this is a spiritual concept. <laughs> it's a business concept. It's a familial concept. Yeah. Going it alone mm -hmm. is a choice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that, choice is hard to come by. Sometimes you're thrust into an alone position. You have to actively get out of it, mm -hmm. but there's choices to be made here. So the first thing, and frankly, the only thing I have to say on this is go find people to talk to. Mm -hmm. Don't sit at home soloing it and then wishing you had the insight of others. I think that's really good. And the only thing I'd add is what you said about the bubbles and it's don't so closely define bubbles and feel like just because it's your work world, even if you went off and started a business and your side hustle became your main hustle and it's just you, that's fine. That might be a good right. organization for what you're doing. But still think about your family and your friend groups as pieces that play into your work life. We draw two tight lines between this world and this world. And especially if you've got a company like that then my goodness, make your people part of it. Even though they're not your work life, they still care enough about you that use them. Like my kids have to provide way more feedback <laughs> for what right, I do right. because they're a different perspective that I don't have on my small team. Right. So anyway, that's just another thought. No, I think it's a great thought. I've talked a lot about what I've learned from my 17-year-old in this generation series mm -hmm. and how I continue to learn. I'm sure the same can be said of the others to come. Yeah. Okay, Jen, questions? Mixing it up now. Okay. Very serious question that we received from a listener. <laughs> Who likes bacon more? 
I, you or me. I don't think it's possible for you to like make bacon more than me. Because I feel like that's, you know, I that's a chicken and an egg. Like bacon so much. Like breakfast. Right? I do. I want breakfast too. So maybe the better question is, how do you like your bacon the most? Let's okay. differentiate how you like to receive your bacon. Okay. I, I, I have not really met bacon I don't like, but in my preferred world of bacon, um, I either want it wrapped around something else delicious um, you know, like a uh, jalapeno that's stuffed with pimento cheese okay, um, and fair. smoked on grill. That's pretty fantastic. But I like it thick cut, preferably applewood smoked or cherry smoked. I can get a little pretentious about my bacon. I, was I don't read... prefer candied bacon. Okay, I, I, like, I don't dislike it. Again, there's not bacon I'll turn away, but I've had chocolate covered bacon. Not the same. Not the me. same. So. so the irony in this moment is that we're talking about bacon and my dog, Shadow, who is trying so hard to join today's podcast, is losing his mind because this is one of the, you know, dogs know, 200, word word. dogs know 200 words. This is one he knows. So I like my bacon in any form, but I will tell you, I like mine wrapped around things too, particularly wrapped around a scallop. It makes me mm. very very happy you taught me to embrace that the other way i like my bacon is on avocado toast so just the the total mix up like the toast with the avocado and the everything bagel seasoning with some bacon Mm. how hip am i you are you just embrace the generations in that moment i know but it is seriously that's (laughs) of the lord i encourage everyone dunkin donuts even has that available it's not quite like homemade but it gets you a sense of what's going on with bacon on avocado toast it's fabulous okay all right now here's the quick one i know we're jumping around but while we're on food really quickly we talk a lot about ice cream and i did have someone that said i just need to know what's your favorite one favorite kind favorite place my favorite place is local, so it helps no one that does not live where I live. But there's a place called Perrydale that is literally up over the hill. Well, it is a dairy the farm. Cows. Like the cows are there. The cows are there. You can see the udders from yeah. which the wonderful things come. Yeah. So, place called Perrydale near us, amazing ice cream. Their chocolate and chocolate marshmallow are just like mm. make you want to cry good. So, that is my very favorite. If I'm just at any old place getting ice cream, I'm going to get something in the coffee or the chocolate realm to, to yeah. see what I like the most. And it's always hard ice cream. I'm not going to use the calories on soft serve unless it's a blizzard at DQ or a milkshake at cookout when I'm visiting you. Okay. I can tell we grew up in the same house. Yeah, I have the same definitely. feelings about hard and soft ice cream and the appropriateness thereof. Definitely local's always better. So we've talked on memory lane about some of the local places. I won't go there, but chocolate marshmallow is a perennial favorite. Anything Turkey Hill, which is local so to where we funny. grew up, but yes. making it like there's two grocery stores where I live that you can also it. get it. And so chocolate marshmallow and chocolate peanut butter, totally the jam. All right. I that was it. the only other food no, one. I think it's fantastic. Okay. Let's go back <laughs> to the work world. Wah, wah, wah. Um, we started season three yes. a couple months ago. I can't believe it's been months at this point talking about a workplace revolution, really psyched about changing the Mm -hmm. way we do work. Um, At the time, we were using the latest Cal Newport book, excuse me, to help kind of fuel that conversation. The book is called A World Without Email, a book that we Mm -hmm. both enjoy a great deal. Um, I've been asked by some folks, okay, you were really fired up at revolution time. You talked (laughs) about things, things you were changing and trying in your workplace. What is sticking? What is working? So I'll ask you first, Jen, since our workplace revolution, we are going to start doing work 
differently. If people haven't listened to that episode series, go back and get it. I promise motivation and new ideas. Mm -hmm. What's working, Jen, or not working from the Revolution series? I still have more work to do, and I will fully acknowledge that. Um, oh, well, I, I'm done. I'm done. Everything's perfect. <laughs> I I had been on a kick where I was really good at a zero inbox, which helped me maintain the discipline of only opening email in specified segments. And I have traveled a few times in a couple week, recent weeks, which is not normal for me. And now I'm realizing that now that the world is shifting and there's more of that happening again, I have some discipline pieces that aren't going to carry over into that realm. So that's maybe the biggest growth curve of what what happens when my routine gets interrupted more than right. it has right. in a lot of the recent months. But I will tell you from a team standpoint... We have gotten much better at what should go on Slack and what should go on email so that we can stay focused. Email tends to be something that we all check a little more because things come in about different realms of life. And so, but when we help each other on work, keep things on Slack, it can be something that we only go to Slack when we're working versus when we're not. And so there's a focus element in how our team has said, let's use this one to our advantage. And that's been going really well. Okay, that's and that's really interesting because one of the things that's been going really well for me is the email. Now, zero inbox is not something I've ever aspired to in my world, nor do I find <laughs> it to be realistic. And I actually kind of giggle that that's been a challenging one to you because <laughs> I thought it was aspirationally adorable when you brought it up. So, um, however, my inbox has become so much better. I have been working both personally as well as talking to other people, not only directly on my team, but also those that work with us mm-hmm. about getting out of email. This whole hive mindset, the reply all, everybody knows I always had a passion for it, but now mm-hmm. it's the point where some of my team have admitted that they've stopped emailing me because they know I'm not going to bother to respond. <laughs> so, um, and not even in an ugly way, they're, they're getting the point that I'm not engaging. I mean, I will use email for email we know the rules, right? Mm-hmm. Email is for a clear decision. It's for documentation. It's to clearly delegate a task, right? Um, and it's not, and it shouldn't be used for time sensitive or back and forth oriented work. And I think we're getting a lot better at that. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. about that. To the point that a couple months ago, I would get up. So my habit usually has me getting up around 5.30 and getting into email by six o'clock and usually hitting the ground around six o'clock. I try to save the first 30 minutes of my day to just check what bombs might be in my email. And I was to the point where I was kind of dreading getting to my desk, right? That has improved drastically to the point that I don't even check my email as first thing in the morning when I get to my desk anymore. So that shows Mm -hmm. me market improvement. Now, the irony is my it's a mess that isn't working area is the use of messaging. Now, we use Teams, not (laughs) Slack. We use messaging on Microsoft's Teams platform. Uh Um, But I actually have a major issue where... This whole concept of someone's urgency becomes mine and gets me out of my work zone mm-hmm. via that messenger is a problem. So what I'm finding is like I'm in a meeting really trying to focus. I've even gotten back to taking notes during meetings to try to improve my focus because it's mm-hmm. so hard in all these virtual meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are messaging, even people from the same meeting on right? another topic. <laughs> and it's um, it's driving me bonkers and I need uh-huh. to figure out a way to really get after that better. So maybe you and I need to talk about how you're doing that with Slack effectively without it being disruptive to someone else who's trying to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really finding that there's too much happening. Again, it's 
too much activity and distraction happening in that as opposed to kind of the organized, hey, we're ready to go look at this. So I actually revisited some of Cal Newport stuff about using like Trello and some other things Mm -hmm. where you create these kind of task cards where when it's time, you go to it to advance Mm -hmm. something as opposed to pinging each other and creating that artificial urgency. So some work to be done there. I think the interesting dynamic where you and I are coming from different pages is you're having to figure it out where you're totally not in an office setting. So Cal Newport even talks about what is the five-minute conversation in somebody's office versus right. that, and none of that's available to you. So you're always right. in a place where people know if they message you in some way, you're going to see something. Exactly. And so that's, I think, the added challenge. For us, it's the also having a layer of what's the I'm running over to your desk conversation exactly. versus the email. Right. And that's a challenge, too. Like when someone comes and says the whole do you have five minutes – and who are the people on your team that you trust that it's five minutes or it's not five minutes? Craig Rochelle talked about that recently yes, on his leadership yes. podcast. And I thought, oh, gosh, that one's crushing me because that is the reverse. As you say, don't email me. And then someone wants five minutes, but what they really want is 20. Right. Oh, and I've even gotten to the point where I respond to some people. If you get that, hey, can I have a quick five-minute discussion? I will respond. Truly five or you're looking for half an hour because it changes my answer. Right. right? Because you don't then want to get into the conversation and four minutes go, I'm out. I'm out. When they've launched into a 35-minute personnel development conversation. Yep. Right. What so you need. You've got to be honest about what you need. And I can do better with that. How often do I message somebody and say, hey, I need to talk to you for 10 minutes? Yeah. When in the back of my mind, I know, oh, this could turn into a half an hour conversation. Let's be honest about what our needs are and get them into the right channel. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Good. Are you still psyched from the workplace revolution? I am. I okay. really am. This is an ongoing conversation. Our team is fully in it. I love it. Okay. Jen, a question that's very specific, but I think fair to ask. Love we it. have two or three listeners that consistently message us on Instagram or shoot emails over that want to know more about what you you are reading. Not me. Uh, Nobody wants to know my extra stuff. <laughs> we share a lot about our fiction and our nonfiction reads. And usually yeah. our nonfiction reads are in the business development, leadership development type realm. Folks want to know what you're reading about church growth and spiritual growth. Um, we won't tell them that I read some of that too, because that would make things too complex. Can you give us a couple like favorite things you've read in that category that we typically don't publish? Um, yes, I will. And I, I appreciate that people ask. I think in some ways yes. I stay intentionally away from that on this right. platform. But we get the questions. They know we, who and what you are and that's okay. We do. So I appreciate for those of you that are asking the question, um, recently, a Burning in My Bones, which is the um, the biography of Eugene Peterson by Wynne Collier. And there is much written and still to be written on Eugene Peterson. He mm-hmm. died just a couple years ago, but right. great theologian, pastor his whole life, very prolific writer. Right. So he himself wrote a ton of books, and I read a lot of his, and I reread a lot of his. So that's one that's okay. always out there running with the horses, eat this book, all kinds of Eugene Peterson books. But the, um, I'm not thinking of the word, Laura, but this is the biography that he signed off on. This is someone who knew him well, that he invited into his home in the final years of his life to really put all of this together. This is the authorized biography. The authorized, thank you. Don't know why I couldn't get there. Publishing past. Right. (laughs) Couldn't get there. Um, And it's, it's challenging because you can't tell the story of his life without digging into the theology of what he believed and how all that processed out. And so- 
highly recommend to anybody in that realm. And um, a burning in my bones. A burning in my bones I by Wynn Collier. Yeah. Yes. And then um, I, I, I'll just hit a couple here. I've been redoing a really slow read of Stanley Hauerwas's commentary on the Book of Matthew, and that sounds really lame and maybe not widely approached, except that convince me. Jenny. I was going to say, convince here's me. the convince: is whether you're a person of faith or not. Um, he is not a biblical scholar, is what he'd tell you, although he really is because he's just a genius and retired. But he's a Christian ethicist and a theologian, and so he writes as that. In fact, he writes a really long intro to explain the fact that this is not your standard commentary. Right. Um, he's coming at a very different angle, which I'm loving, which is why I'm reading it so slowly. And the third one, Laura, is going to come back to you because it was a recommendation from you and our mother, who are both Woo-hoo. reading Hidden Christmas by Timothy Keller yeah. and have enjoyed it. Your church is doing it as a book club. And so that's actually the one in my hands right now from a work standpoint. It's such a good read, right? I, I, I'm just getting started, but really excited about it. And it's timely. So for those of you looking to pick something up, it's a short read, Hidden Christmas by Timothy Keller. Totally true. Since we're talking books, in case that didn't get anybody going, we've been Uh-oh. reading a lot of memoirs this year. Yeah. And I can't remember, I don't think we've covered this one on the podcast or not, but we were just talking last night over dinner. We're together. We're in the same place right now. So exciting. If anybody hadn't noticed, <laughs> um, which is unusual, but exciting. We were talking last night about how much we just loved the memoir Between Two Kingdoms. Yes. Um, so if you've not heard that from us yet... Mm-hmm. Between Two Kingdoms, a fabulous, beautiful story about a woman who had life-threatening cancer, how she worked her way through that, and then the process of re-entering life and managing some grief associated with friends that she lost that had cancer and she went through that journey with, but who did not ultimately survive the cancer. Um, A beautiful book. Great insights on grief. Amusing at times, really fun and inspiring. A quick read. Really enjoyed it. And just honest. She didn't make herself try to sound good and all and no. I mean, she's very honest about here's what I really like didn't yeah. do well like yeah. just the kind of raw so I feel like we have to try and say her name her first name is Sulika S-U-L-E-I-K-A her last name I'm I, I know I can't pronounce it starts with a J and it has a bunch of vowels and ends with a D and she's gorgeous yes so, you'll know so Jen you're like calling me out indirectly on the fact that I intentionally did not say the author's <laughs> name when I'm giving the book so between two kingdoms by Sulika who, just a fabulous story, cannot yes. recommend this book enough mm-hmm. um, and would encourage others to get to it. Okay, man, we love our book talk. Maybe we, we do. should do a book podcast next in Ooh. our free time. In our free time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> one more question that we should cover today. Okay. Folks are always asking what we're planning to do next. I don't know. What are we planning? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Laura makes the spreadsheets, Laura. For those of you that do, as people ask a lot of production questions, we'll get to that another time. I got some of those. Um, But Laura does the spreadsheets. (laughs) This is true. I am the one thinking out ahead. We're all shocked by this information. So Jen's busy planning sermons for March of 2022. So I'm thinking about podcasts for March of 2022. Um, So... Our next series is actually going to be a little bit about entrepreneurship, yes. something that I know nothing about and don't claim to. I've not been um, an entrepreneur at any stage in my career. Um, Jen is a variety of entrepreneur in the work that she's done with her and her small team in a church plant. So there's definitely a variety of entrepreneurial spirit there. We're going to be doing a three-part series that is entirely about 
what is it that encapsulates the entrepreneurial spirit? And then not only what does it take, what is an entrepreneur? What's the spirit look like? What's it mean? How can that be applied in different settings? So for me personally, what I'm looking for is I see so many great things, a great enter energy, a great energy <laughs> around entrepreneurism. Is that a yeah. word, entrepreneurism? It is. It was my episode, every episode I had to question my word choice. An, a great energy there. How can we take some of that energy and become entrepreneurs wherever we are, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's at the parent-teacher organization, PTO at school, whether it is in your corporate job, in your doctor's office, whatever it might be, how do you take that entrepreneurial spirit and really help carry it into a lot of your adventures? Because there's a lot to be learned from that. So looking forward to that. So even if you're not an entrepreneur or an aspiring, aspiring entrepreneur, there's going to be a lot to get out of that series. So we're going to be running that over the course of the next, um, that's where we're going to be running through November and December. Um, along with a couple special episodes, including this one that will drop as the holiday season is upon us. Yes. Yay! Tis the season. It's going to be really exciting. And I am excited about that one. And one of the episodes is a bit more of a spoiler fix than maybe we were going to, but one of the episodes is corporate's not a dirty word. Yes. And I'm excited because yes, this entrepreneurship I have done in my own realm and variety um, but you're going to talk about how so much of the spirit of that does apply and that corporate's not the enemy of entrepreneurship. And right. I think that's going to be a, an important conversation that we get to have in the middle of this. And as we do some interviews with some people who've done both, um, right. and can really help marry the conversations between the two. Exactly. So I'm excited about that. So all of that is coming up very soon. And along with that, we do hope to do a few more questions, and we love to hear from people. So if you, for those who are listening that are invested in the conversation of what's coming up next, we want to hear from you. Yes. We want to hear, oh what are the things you would love to hear us talk more about? What are the books that you would love to hear us read that you may be walking through? So we do have spreadsheets. We do plan ahead, but we want to include your thoughts. So please reach out to us, send us that DM on Instagram, and we can get those things rolling in our mix. Absolutely. All right. This has been fun. Yes. Not only because we were together, but it was fun to answer questions. <laughs> Shadow enjoyed his time with us. I can only imagine his head poking up every here and there. He did. Um, he enjoyed especially the bacon conversation. <laughs> Next time we will talk at length about steak to get him really wound up. Perfect. Um, while Poor we dog. Okay. It's <laughs> been fun. Let's take a walk to memory lane. All right, Laura, on this special episode, we are going to a question from our childhood that came up way more frequently in our family than perhaps others. And it was the question of, do we know anyone who can play the piano or the organ to accompany? So true, right? So if you're a preacher's family, there's the wedding, the funeral, the special music at church, the we're going to play at the nursing home. A hundred different scenarios in which someone needed to be able to play the piano or the organ in order to make said musical performance play out as needed. So it became a joke in our family. And to this day is a joke in our family that there were some folks that were like closeted piano players. <laughs> so in particular, mom came to know about one. And this goes back, I mean, we're talking, how old am I, 27? <laughs> um, this goes back 20 plus years. Yeah. Where mom discovered that a person, I won't even reveal the gender of said person, a person played piano. But when mom discovered it, 
she was sworn to secrecy because this person did not want to be asked to use this particular skill in public. So it was really funny. It became a family joke because we all knew. So anytime a secret or some confidential information would come up in the house, which is not unusual in a preacher's house, for something to get discussed over dinner, and then for somebody to go, that is not public information, right? Like, we would find out about pregnancies that were not being announced, right? Illnesses, right. people moving, right? Life events were commonly known in our house that were not public info. Um, Jen and I learned to keep vaults early in life. Yes. So it would commonly be, oh, you mean like this goes in the so Jim Bob does not play the piano and to this day, I can tell it you this person's name, oh, and we yeah. still make this joke. Oh yeah, this All was this was the ongoing family inside joke, and so that's one of ours. Other people have them, but that goes in the vault about that person who plays the piano. Right. But the moral of the story is really. Questions are great. We love questions, but be careful how, who you give all the answers because Absolutely. there may be things that you really don't want people to call on you for on any given night or weekend. Like, do you have a place to stay? Yes. Um, so yes. anyway, so the moral of the story is we love answering questions. We can't wait to answer more from other people. Right. But be careful. And I'm just going to say, because you can't be careful what you tell your preacher. It can and will be used against you in the production of a Christmas Eve worship service. That's funny because it's true. That is funny because it's true. Thanks for joining us on Memory Lane. special episode of the Sisters of Industry. We hope this episode made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life. Keep those questions coming to us. We love answering them.